Today our scripture will be from an indigenous translation of the New Testament called First Nations Versions, translated by Terry M. Wildman of the Ojibwe and Yaqib tribes. John 1, 1 through 14. Long ago, in the time before days, before the creation of all things, the one who is known as the Word was there face to face with the Great Spirit. This Word fully represents Creator and shows us who He is and what He is like. He has always been there from the beginning, for the Word and Creator are one and the same. Through the Word, all things came into being. Not one thing exists that he did not create. Creator's life shined out from the word, giving light to all human beings. This is the true light that comes to all the peoples of the world and shines on everyone. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it or put it out. Into the wilderness of the land of promise, Judea, came a man called Gift of Goodwill, John. He was sent by the Great Spirit to tell what he knew about the light so everyone could believe. He was not the light, but came to speak the truth about the light. The true light that shines on all peoples was coming into the darkness of this world. He came down into this world, and even though he made all things the world did not recognize him. Even his own tribe did not welcome him or honor him. But all who welcome and trust him receive their birthright as children of the Great Spirit. They are born in a new way, not from a human father's plans or desires, but born from above by the Great Spirit. Creator's word became a flesh and blood human being and pitched his sacred tent among us, living as one of us. We looked upon his great beauty and saw how honorable he was, the kind of honor held only by this one son who fully represents his father, full of his great kindness and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Will you please pray with me? Good and gracious God, we give thanks for your spirit that saturates our earth and fills our lives. And we pray that through that spirit, we will hear your word for us today. Amen. So this morning, we begin two weeks focusing on stewardship. And stewardship is just a fancy word the church uses when we ask for money. It, yeah, right? it's, it's a thing, actually, we didn't used to talk much about because, I don't know, it, I mean, it's awkward, and a lot of people have been hurt by churches that have leveraged guilt and social pressure to increase giving, and, and we didn't want to be that church. Then in 2017, we did a capital campaign where we hired a consultant who didn't love our general approach of 
uh, hoping people would give money without asking people to give money. I don't know what his deal was. <laughs> but but he, he did have a point. During that campaign, as we asked one another to commit to support the church, we noticed that people's relationship with the church changed. Folks came to church more frequently. They, they volunteered more. There was a, a deeper sense of investment and ownership in the community. But the other thing that we learned was that people didn't invest in our, in our mission together because the Bible said so. We invest our time, our energy, and our money because this place matters. It matters that, that generations of people have encountered God's spirit in this particular place. I mean, of course it does. The, the New Testament is really a story of what happens when God dwells in a particular place. John's gospel that we heard this morning, it, it begins the Christian story by announcing that creator's word became flesh and blood human being and pitched his sacred tent among us, living as one of us. This, this is how the, Jesus is introduced in John's gospel as the presence of God living among us. Or as, as Eugene Peterson says it in his translation of the message, the, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And you know, we, we talk, or I should say, I probably talk a lot about God filling the whole earth, God's presence being everywhere all the time. And, and there is truth to that. But when it comes to Jesus, things get very specific. When God shows up in our life, God shows up in a particular place. And Jesus shows up in a particular place, a specific time. It was around 3 BCE in Nazareth. And Jesus continues to show up in specific places and times. So today I'm going to tell the story of Jesus showing up in a particular place, the corner of Ninth and Market where we sit today. But I want to be clear before I do that, that it's, it's not like God's great spirit was absent from this place before the roads Ninth and Market were built. We occupy the ancestral lands of the Puyallup tribe who cared for this land with reverence. The indigenous tribes of the, uh, they knew that this land was sacred as were the waters and abundant salmon and clams that fed the Puyallup people who lived here for millennia. But in 1864, the U.S. Congress gave the tribe's land to the Northern Pacific Railroad, who then gave the tribe's land to white settlers to build the city of Tacoma. And the main reason is that Tacoma was the western terminus, the end point of the railroad running from Minneapolis. So in the late 19th century, Tacoma started to boom as a deluge of white settlers arrived. So in March of 1883, two plots of land were donated so that Reverend Joseph Beaton could found First Baptist Church of New Tacoma, 
in the territory of Washington. And that summer, the first church building was built on the corner of Ninth and Market. And from there, First Baptist took off. Ten years later, they had a membership of 200, and they needed a new building to contain all the folks. So they built another building, again, on the corner of Ninth and Market. And this just kept happening. By 1920, there were almost 800 members and 600 kids enrolled in Sunday school. And the church knew they needed new buildings, so in 1925, they built a 45,000-square-foot neo-Gothic church with 53 rooms that would seat 1,200 people. It was designed to be able to function as a theater as well as a church. We actually, the right as you walk in, if you look on the side, that was built as a ticketing office. And over the next decade, First Baptist became the downtown church in the heart of Tacoma, growing at its peak to 2,400 members. And, and there are, actually, in this picture, there are two things to notice. One, there's no center aisle. At some point, I'm not actually even exactly sure, but they rearranged the back to create a center aisle. And the other thing is, as I mentioned, it sat 1,200 people, and these are all women from the church. So just a picture of what a vibrant community this was. And throughout the 40s and 50s, the congregation, it shrank and it swelled until another particular period of prosperity that I want to pause on around the 1960s. Uh, because this is when the historic photos get really good and familiar. Check out Don Summers, as well as Doris and Paul Krillich. Ah, uh, yeah. Or a sharp-looking choir with Ray and Charlotte. Yeah. And if it isn't Willie Stewart with Don and Ray, uh, I don't know exactly the competition that they won that trophy for, but I'm sure Don does, so you, you can ask them after the service. Uh, but I want to actually take a moment to pause on this, because this is a really important uh, time as well, particularly Willie's move to First Baptist. And Willie, and, because in 1963, Willie and Faye Stewart desegregated First Baptist Church. As, as Willie told me, I grew up in a segregated community and a segregated church, and I felt that Christ is not restricted to colors and groups, and I always wanted to be in a downtown church. And as many of you know who know Willie, he became a pioneer for civil rights in Tacoma, serving as the first African-American principal, assistant superintendent, and school board member. And before long, First Baptist elected him as president of the congregation. It, it was a bold step and a sign of racial progress in the church. But this also coincided with a period where downtown changed drastically. And, and I want to take a moment to explain why. After World War II, there was a huge group of soldiers moving back to America who wanted to start families but there wasn't much housing in traditional urban cores like Tacoma. So the U.S. government created incentives, like the GI Bill, 
to help veterans buy homes that were being built out in the suburbs. And that itself wasn't, wasn't bad, except for two things. Well, really one thing, that many, if not most, suburban communities had regulations that prevented people of color from living there. And the government supported these discriminatory lending policies that made it extremely difficult for anyone, any people of color, to live anywhere except particular neighborhoods downtown. So this, for example, is a map of Tacoma. The red areas were the only neighborhoods welcomed to people of color, immigrants, and Jewish people. And then the logical extension of that is that when people left for the suburbs, they no longer paid taxes to the city. And without that tax revenue, cities were no longer able to provide adequate services like police, fire, and education. The poor conditions of the cities drove more folks to the suburbs, which made the problem worse. This became, as many of us know, it became known as white flight. And that is a part of the story of our city and our churches. Because as middle-class white folks left for the suburbs, churches left too. All over America, churches abandoned downtowns, and those who stayed usually died. Even a, a booming, thriving church like First Baptist wasn't immune. By 1978, membership was down to 425, with only like maybe half that number attending on a Sunday morning. So First Baptist had a decision to make. Would they move out of downtown to the suburbs where they could again be a booming church, or would they stay in a dying downtown? It was a really serious question, and in 1978, the church purchased a property they called the Good Horizon, or the New Horizons property, and began to explore the possibility of moving to the suburbs. There, of course, in those conversations, there were all kinds of logistical questions, but the central question was what the church, what it meant to follow Jesus. How do you serve a God who not only lived in a human body, but also lived in a neighborhood. For First Baptist, the answer was to stay downtown. And they went into it wide-eyed. They knew what the decision meant. When the Tacoma News Tribune reported on their decision, the article began, began a great challenge faces the members of Tacoma's historic First Baptist Church, which has decided against following other mainline Protestant churches in a flight to the suburbs. The decision raises the question whether First Baptist can effectively minister to the inner city. At stake is the church's survival. The article then goes on to quote the pastor, who admits that churches that move to the suburbs succeed and those that stay downtown often die but their ministry was downtown. The article then goes on to cite the leadership of the president of the congregation, Willie Stewart, who said, Tacoma needs a downtown church, and we are here. 
Now, if this were the kind of story that you see on TV, this would be the turning point. The one where the faithful servants are rewarded, where First Baptist beats the odds. We'd hear about the successful plan to turn the building into a community center with counseling service, just like the article describes. But the life of faith is is not a made-for-TV movie. Faithfulness doesn't always mean that we get what we hope for. Faithfulness is the willingness to let the needs of others guide us, even when the results are uncertain, which is exactly what First Baptist did when they decided to stay downtown. Throughout the 80s and 90s, Tacoma gained a national reputation for gang violence. Many who lived downtown struggled, and First Baptist dwelt among them and shared their struggles. First Baptist was the only Protestant church remaining in the downtown core. While the suburban churches thrived, First Baptist went from 400 members to 75. By the early 2000s, it was down to about 40. The church was dying, but it was a beautiful and holy death. As the neighborhood changed, so did the church. In 1998, First Baptist started a weekly breakfast of eggs, sausage, toast, grits, potatoes, juice, and coffee, and I saw those grits being served this morning. Within weeks, hundreds of people were coming for breakfast and conversation. For years, a group of faithful folks served those in need. They pitched in to fix broken heaters and windows. They welcomed the neighborhood to be a part of their community. But also this aging group of saints knew they couldn't hang on forever. The finances were bleak. And by the early 2000s, it was clear that that First Baptist would have to close or move. The folks at First Baptist believed that, that God's presence had moved into the neighborhood. So as long as God was there, they would be too. So they did a remarkable thing. Rather than sell their building and move out to the suburbs, they gave their building to the neighborhood. They gave their church to the neighborhood. In 2004, First Baptist gathered a group of ministers from a variety of different backgrounds and asked the simple question, what does Tacoma need in a church? The answer they came up with was an ecumenical church that would welcome all people. They envisioned a church where everyone was welcome, no matter their age, race, sexuality, gender identity, or church background. They envisioned a church where young families, working professionals, people experiencing homelessness, and the remaining members of First Baptist could worship together. They believed this new church could continue the ministries and relationships that First Baptist had built while converting the building into a community center that Uh, which was the vision when they had decided to stay downtown in the late 70s. They believed this is what downtown Tacoma needed, 
So in 2005, Urban Grace was created as an independent ecumenical church. And, and since that time, we, we've seen the congregation flourish. Folks who felt like they didn't have a place in Christianity have found a home. And, and people's lives have been transformed. And I'm not actually going to talk much about that. I'm going to, today, I'm, we'll get into that next week. Because today, I want to focus on another question. What happens when we believe that the Incarnation was not only God made flesh, but God moving into a neighborhood? What happens to the church and what happens to the neighborhood? Well, here at Ninth and Market, the church didn't just move into the neighborhood. The neighborhood moved into the church. When First Baptist gave its building to the neighborhood, the neighborhood took up residence. Community groups started using the building. A dance studio was built to provide low-cost dance lessons for neighborhood kids. Nonprofits, ministries, arts organizations moved into empty spaces and made them their own. And I don't want to like sugarcoat that. It was a lot of work and many years of hard work. But even today, with the decreased activity due to COVID, there are still about 20 different organizations operating out of our building. I remember a moment, uh, it was three years ago, where this really, the, the impact of this hit me. We were partnering with Tacoma Public Schools uh, Project Lit program that uh, introduced authors of color to kids in our school systems. And uh, we were doing an event together here, and a public school librarian who I'd never met got on stage and said, we're thrilled to welcome Kwame Alexander to Tacoma's living room. As she spoke those words, there were five other community events happening elsewhere in the building. The neighborhood had moved in. And folks took notice. Just one of, one of the many examples of folks taking notice is that today we sit in brand new seats in our renovated sanctuary that is due to a $320,000 grant given to us for, by a foundation who told us when they awarded us the grant, we don't give to churches. This grant is for your community, in spite of the fact that basically to give to the community we're giving to a church. And, and I share that not to brag or make us look good, but, but to answer that question of what happens when we believe that the incarnation was not only God made flesh, but God moving into a neighborhood. Because I think the answer is something like the gospel lived out. I, this is a good way to think about it, too, I guess. That many years ago, G.K. Chesterton is a writer. He, he wrote about a city called Plincoe in England. It is a rough city. It was not always loved by outsiders. A city sort of like Tacoma. And Chesterton said that the way for this gritty city to thrive was for people to love the city without any earthly reason. He said, love a place the way a mother loves her child. 
not because the child is beautiful or talented, but because it's her child. Cities do not start as great. No, cities grow great by being loved. People did not love Rome because she was great. Rome was great because people loved her. And what lies at the root of that is that loving a place is more important than fixing a place. Loving people is more important than fixing people. Loving a place the way Jesus loved a place is more important than having a thriving church because it's in that love, in that sense of incarnation, that we actually communicate Christ's love. More than telling people about Jesus, we share Christ by following the model of Jesus. And that's why we're still here at the corner of Ninth and Market, because it's where Christ put us and where we found Christ. We're here at the corner of Ninth and Market, and that's where we've stayed through tremendously hard years, because God moved into the neighborhood here. We're here at the corner of Ninth and Market for all the changes that are coming in Tacoma and all the uncertainties of what church is going to be like post-COVID. Is there going to be a post-COVID? We don't know. But we're here because we're committed to loving here, loving this place, loving this neighborhood, loving this city, because that's the gospel. So consider this to be an invitation to, to join the story, to, to fall in love with this place. Fall in love with this place on Ninth and Market and what God is doing here. Fall in love, stay, dig in, commit. Join the gospel story here by giving your time, your energy, your money, your heart. Join the, the church, join the work, join the love of God as it's made known here at the corner of Ninth and Market. Amen.